0: All right, Acts chapter 9. While I give you a couple commercials? Number one, thank you to uh, Pastor Alter for inviting me back. Appreciate it very much and his gracious hospitality. And number two, I have a book table in the back. I have two book tables. The one on the left is my books that I'm actually selling at discounted prices. The table on the right is my other books that you can order from my website or from Amazon. All right, Acts chapter 9. I want to give you something more practical tonight. I want you to look at Acts chapter 9. And we'll start at verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I want to preach to you tonight on what wilt thou have me to do. Now, there are a number of famous questions asked in the Bible. The devil asked, yea, hath God said? Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? Abraham asked, shall not the judge of the earth do right? Moses asked, why is it that thou hast sent me? Pilate asked, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? A lawyer asked, and who is my neighbor? The angels asked, why seek ye the living among the dead? Nicodemus asked, how can a man be born when he is old? The Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And Saul, who was later called Paul, asks in our text, what wilt thou have me to do? I want to say ten quick things by way of introduction before preaching on this question that Paul asked. So number one, you are obligated to do something. We owe God a debt. What wilt thou have me to do should be the first thing that comes out of the mouth of anyone after he's saved. The Bible says God delivered us from so great a death. The destiny of every lost man is the lake of fire. The debt that we owe God for saving us cannot be calculated. If Jesus could say, not my will but thine be done, then certainly we must say no less. Number two, you as an individual should and can do something. Paul didn't ask about what anyone else should do or what the church should do. He asked, what wilt thou have me to do? After the resurrection of Jesus, Peter said to Jesus about John, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. William Carey, the father of modern Baptist missions was a shoemaker who taught himself Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and other languages. He went to India and learned the native languages and translated the Bible into these languages. He once said this, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Never underestimate what one man can do. The reason why so many Christians never do anything for God is because they never try to. They don't make an attempt. All right, number three, by way of introduction. New Christians can still do something. You don't have to go to Bible college before you can do something. D.L. Moody never went to Bible college. Hugh Pyle never went to Bible college. Charles Spurgeon never went to Bible college. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to know how to preach. You don't have to have formal training. You don't have to wait a certain period of time. If you have a testimony and you got saved, that's good enough. Get started. Number four, anyone can do something. Young or old, educated or uneducated, talented or untalented, even those with a handicap. Fanny Crosby was blind from birth and yet was one of the most prolific hymn writers in history. She wrote Blessed Assurance... Praise him, praise him, rescue the perishing, and to God be the glory. So what did you say your excuse was? Number five, God has already told us what to do. We have God's complete revelation in the Bible. Unlike Paul, we don't have to go to Damascus and be told what to do. But we also don't have to go to Rome and be told by the Pope what to do. The Pope and the Catholic Church will tell us lies and teach us false doctrine. They'll tell us to pray to Mary and the saints. They'll tell us to confess our sins to a priest. They'll tell us that we go to purgatory when we die if we're not quite good enough to get into heaven. They'll tell us that the priest in the mass turns the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. They'll tell us the Pope is the vicar of Christ. And they'll tell us that baptism washes away original sin. So don't go to Rome and look to be told what to do. We also don't have to be told by some preacher, teacher, church, or ministry what to do. And we don't have to wait for a special revelation from God. Jesus said, Search the Scriptures. The Bereans search the Scriptures daily. Do you? All right, number six, if you're going to do something, do it now. Do it now, today, not later. Don't procrastinate. You may not have a chance later. The Bible says in uh, Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. People all over the United States will wake up tomorrow. They'll get in their car. They'll drive to work. And some of them won't come home. They'll be in the morgue. They'll get in a car accident on the way home, and they'll be in the morgue. Number seven, whatever you do, do it in earnest. Someone has well said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, "'Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might.'" Colossians 3.23, whatsoever ye do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not unto men. There is nothing worth doing more than doing what God has told you to do. All right, number eight, we're still in the introduction. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Not the glory of yourself, or your family, or your career, or your bank account, or your possessions. Number nine, works should come after salvation, not before. Most Americans think that doing good works will help them get into heaven. Things like going to church, put money in the offering. Hold the door open for people. Tell people to have a nice day. Buy Girl Scout cookies. Give their change to the Ronald McDonald house or the or in the Salvation Army kettle. Donate old clothes to Goodwill. Recycle. Practice social distancing. That'd be the latest thing. And most Americans also think that doing bad works will hinder them from getting into heaven. And may even send them to hell. Things like murder, adultery, rape, robbery, embezzlement, sodomy, using profanity, viewing pornography, taking drugs, getting drunk. But most Americans, unless they're an atheist, think that after you die, if your good works that I mentioned outweigh those bad works that I mentioned, you get to go to heaven. That's what most people think. However, some Americans do think you might have to go to purgatory first for a couple thousand years or whatever. Now, unfortunately, some Christians also think that work should come before salvation. They front load the gospel by requiring one or all of three things. Number one, works of submission and obedience as conditions for salvation thereby confounding salvation and discipleship. Or giving up this or that instead of imploring the sinner to cast himself on the mercy of God like the publican who prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Or making Christ Lord of your life as if an unregenerate man dead in trespasses and sins can do any such thing. Now the Bible says... God justifies the ungodly, not the reformed. The Bible says when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, not when we were surrendered. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, not make Christ Lord of your life. So what does the Bible say about works and salvation? Romans 4, 5 tells us that salvation is to him that worketh not, but believeth. The Bible tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not out of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And the Bible also tells us that in Titus 3.8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. So the good works come after salvation, not before. And finally, by way of introduction, I want to say one more thing. Bible injunctions to do something often involve not doing something. Bible do's can be Bible don'ts. Put away lying, it says in Ephesians. What does that mean? Don't lie. Abstain from fornication, 1 Thessalonians. What does that mean? Don't fornicate. Let him that stole steal no more, Ephesians. What does that mean? Don't steal. So Bible do's can be Bible don'ts. There are some things you shouldn't do after you're saved that you did before you were saved. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now, that was just the introduction. Now, we can return to our text, Acts 9, verse 6. Paul asked the Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Don't you hate it when people tell you what to do? It's human nature. We all hate it. Well, I'm going to tell you what to do tonight. I hate you. (laughs) Now, actually, God has told you in the Bible what to do. I'm just going to point it out. So don't shoot the messenger. There are ten things that you as a Christian should do. Now, there's many more things in the New Testament, but I'm going to limit myself to just ten to complement the ten things I said by way of introduction. Alright, you ready? You got your Bible, right? Ephesians 5.20. Here's the first thing you should do. Ephesians 5.20. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing you should do is give thanks. You should give thanks for spiritual blessings, forgiveness of sin, peace with God, salvation from hell, a personal relationship with God, a Bible to read, a church to attend. You should give thanks for these spiritual blessings. You should thank God every day you're not born in a Muslim country where you have virtually no chance of hearing the truth. A place with no gospel tracts, no Bible, no Christian witness, no Christian music, no churches. A place where you grow up and you memorize parts of the Koran, you go to Friday prayers, you abstain from alcohol and pork, you make a pilgrimage to Mecca, you believe with all your heart there's one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, and you think that Jews and Christians are infidels, and then you die and go to hell forever. You know, Muhammad must be the most hated man in hell. Just think of all the billions of Muslims that are going to come to the realization someday Muhammad was a fraud. You should also give thanks for physical blessings. Your health. Do you credit your good health to eating right, watching your weight, taking vitamins, exercising, getting enough sleep? Or do you credit your good health to God Almighty? Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I do them myself, except the part about watching my weight, a little lax there. But thank God for your health. Not something you do or your doctor, your personal trainer, or your nutritionist, something they've done, but thank God for it. So be thankful for all things. Thank God for all things. All right, number two, turn to Galatians 6. Galatians 6, look at verse 10. Galatians 6, 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So the second thing you should do is you should do good. Christians should do good. Now this is different from the doing of good works that I mentioned in my introduction. Christians should be charitable, benevolent, kind, pitiful, caring, compassionate, and generous. The world is full of do-gooders who want to help mankind and make the world a better place. They want to alleviate poverty, reduce infant mortality, feed the hungry, free the oppressed, expand access to health care, and reverse climate change. Now, these are all worthy goals, except, of course, for climate change, which is absolute nonsense. The problem with most of these people is they have no problem using the heavy hand of government to achieve their goals. The U.S. government takes $40 billion from American taxpayers every year and gives it to other governments and NGOs in the form of foreign aid. Did the government ever ask you if you wanted some of your tax money to go to some foreign government? What would you have said? I'm sure you probably would have said, no way. Christians should do good, but they should do good with that which is their own. You can't steal from one to give to another and claim you're doing good. In 1964, Lyndon Johnson came up with the war on poverty. And he said this, We're going to try to take all the money that we think is unnecessarily being spent and take it from the haves and give it to the have-nots that need it so much. Lyndon Johnson. Christians should also do good as they have opportunity, not neglecting their other duties. Christians should do good expecting nothing in return. Christians should do good even if evil is returned. Christians should do good now, for there's no possibility of doing good to others after this life. And Christians should do good especially to other Christians, as our text says. What wilt thou have me to do? You should give thanks, and you should do good. All right, what else should you do? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The third thing you should do is study. Now, some of you might say, Brother Vance, I follow you so far about giving thanks and doing good. But studying, that's for preachers. I'm just a regular guy, or I'm just a housewife. Well, 2 Timothy is primarily Paul's instructions to Timothy concerning the ministry and his conduct. But there's much in here we can certainly apply to us. Paul told Timothy to be strong, continue in the things which he learned, and shun profane and vain babblings. Do those admonitions only apply to preachers? Christians need to study the word of God. Not just read it, not just think on it, not just meditate on it, not just reflect on it, but study it. Christians should study the word of Christians should study, why? To gain God's approval. Paul talks elsewhere about laboring to be accepted of God. Christians should study to not be ashamed. Paul said in Colossians that we should know how to answer every man. Christians should study to rightly divide. There are important divisions or distinctions in the scripture. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Justification, sanctification. Preservation, perseverance. Law, grace. Jew, Gentile. Israel, church. Rapture, second, second coming. Salvation, service. Faith, works. Rightly divide. There are no shortcuts. You have to study. What wilt thou have me to do? You should give thanks. You should do good. You should study. All right? Here's something else. Turn back to Ephesians. Number four, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, look at verse 15. Ephesians 5, look at verse 15. See that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So the fourth thing you should do is walk circumspectly. Now that word is a great Bible word. It's only found here in the New Testament. Your spiritual walk should be watchful, cautious, careful, vigilant, and guarded. The Bible says walk in wisdom toward them which are without. You should be careful of your conduct. You should let your conduct exemplify your principles. Don't get sidetracked by your family, your circumstances, your money, your sin, your social media, or the cares of this world. In 2013, daredevil Nick Walenda walked across a tightrope, stretched 1,400 feet across a canyon, he was 1,500 feet above the ground. He had no harness and there was no net underneath him. He also walked a tightrope stretched over Niagara Falls. If anyone ever had to walk circumspectly, it was Nick Walenda. What if we walked our Christian life, our, our Christian walk, what if we were as circumspectly as Walenda? What wilt thou have me to do? Give thanks, do good, study, and walk circumspectly. But that's not all. You're in Ephesians, right? Look at verse 16. Ephesians 16, 516. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You should redeem the time. Christ has redeemed us, we should redeem the time. We should take full advantage and make good use of every opportunity we have. Time is priceless, we can never get it back once it's passed. There are 24 hours in a day, 1,140 minutes, or 86,400 seconds. What do you do with them? Christians sure do waste a lot of time. There are 720 hours in a typical month of 30 days. If you wrote down on one side of a piece of paper how much time you spent in church, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, praying, and listening to spiritual music, and on the other side of the paper you wrote down how much time you spent watching TV, checking Facebook, surfing the internet, playing with your dog, texting, texting, talking on the phone, reading novels and shopping, which column would cover the most time? Now, I didn't say there was anything wrong with doing any of those things. Don't wait for opportunities. Make opportunities. Perhaps you've heard the saying, only one life twill soon be past; Only what's done for Christ will last. What wilt thou have me to do? You should give thanks, you should do good, you should study, you should walk circumspectly, and you should redeem the time. What else should you do? Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. What else does God tell us you should do? Philippians four. four. Philippians 4, look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. So the sixth thing you should do is rejoice. Rejoice in what the Lord has done for you and will do for you. Rejoice not just that you're saved from hell, but that you'll be present with the Lord forever. Walk on streets of gold in New Jerusalem And have a glorified body that doesn't struggle with sin anymore. You should rejoice that you're in church tonight and not a hospital bed. You should rejoice that you're in church and not at a sports bar watching a game between beers. You should rejoice that you're in church and not standing on the side of the road with a need help sign. You should rejoice that you have a bed waiting for you at home and not a cardboard box under a bridge. You should rejoice not just that you have a church to attend, but a church with the right doctrine, the right Bible, the right preaching, the right emphasis. There's plenty of churches out there. All right, you should rejoice in the Lord. Give God the credit for these things, not your intellect your education, or your money. You should rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances. You should rejoice in the Lord always, in every kind of way and at all times. Depression, misery, and despondency have no place in the life of a Christian. Rejoicing is not optional. Our verse here in Philippians begins and ends With the command to rejoice. Did you ever notice that? Look at the verse again. So what wilt thou have me to do? You should give thanks. You should do good. You should study. You should walk circumspectly. You should redeem the time. And you should rejoice. Alright. You're in Philippians. Let's go to chapter 3. And here's something else God tells us to do. Philippians 3. Look at verse 2. Philippians 3, look at verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the concision. Now, dogs was a strong expression of contempt for the filthy and profane. Most dogs back then were wild and masterless animals that prowled in the evening, fed on garbage, and devoured unburied corpses. The Jews applied the term to Gentiles. Paul applied the term to Judaizers who wanted Gentile believers to keep the law of Moses. Evil workers needs no comment other than to say that it refers primarily to spiritual evil. And the concision was the class of Judaizers who said you had to be circumcised to be saved. So even in our day, beware of the filthy and profane. Beware of evil workers, and beware of those who would add to the gospel. But that's not all. Beware of politicians. How do you tell a politician's lying? His mouth's moving. Beware of the news media. Beware of social media. Beware of the power of bad music. Beware of TV preachers. Except for Jim Alter. <laughs> beware of modern Bible versions. Beware of the internet. I didn't say never use the internet, I said beware of the internet. And finally, beware of preachers who never warn you to beware of anything. What wilt thou have me to do? Give thanks, do good, study, walk circumspectly, redeem the time, rejoice, and beware. But that's not all. Turn to Colossians. Number eight, Colossians 3, look at verse 13. Colossians 3, verse 13. forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So number eight, you should forgive. I just can't forgive him. I just can't forgive her. I just can't forgive them. Those are words that should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. Our text acknowledges That two parties may have a quarrel. You're gonna have issues with people, even with your fellow church members. Earlier in this epistle, Paul said that Christ forgave us all our trespasses. Did Christ forgive you? Did Christ forgive you of everything? Did Christ forgive you of horrendous things? Did Christ forgive you of things that no one knows about except you? You'd have to say yes. But consider this also. Did Christ forgive you with any conditions? No. Did Christ forgive you but then remind you about it every day? No. Did Christ forgive you and then resent you the rest of your life? Did Christ forgive you and then retaliate against you for something you did? Did Christ forgive you and then try to punish you for something you did? Then why do Christians do these things? Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We are not just to forbear, but to forgive. What wilt thou have me to do? Give thanks? Do good? Study, walk circumspectly, redeem the time, rejoice, beware, and forgive. All right, here's a couple more things that God wants you to do. Turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 16, look at verse 1. Verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. God wants you to give. Giving in the New Testament is done voluntarily, regularly, willingly, proportionally, generously, cheerfully, and by faith. In his sermon on the use of money, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, identified three parts of good stewardship. Now, the United Methodist Church of today, where you might find a lesbian woman pastor, has no connection whatsoever with John Wesley. All right, here's Wesley on good stewardship. Number one, make all you can by working hard at an honest and honorable trade. Number two, Save all you can, never squander money. And number three, give all you can while supporting first your own immediate family, then the household of faith, and then one should do good to all. That's John Wesley. Wesley also said that if you make all you can and save all you can, but don't give all you can, you may be a living person, but you will be a dead Christian. Note that I've been talking about giving. I never once mentioned the word tithing. And of course, it's not just your money you should give. It's your time and your talents as well. What wilt thou have me to do? You should give thanks, do good, study, walk circumspectly, redeem the time, rejoice, beware, forgive, and give. But there's one more thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's one more thing God tells you to do. 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 21. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. So number 10, you should prove all things. The Apostle John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. How much more true is that now than 2,000 years ago? In 1823, Joseph Smith claimed that the angel Moroni appeared to him and revealed to him the location of golden plates, That Smith says he translated as the Book of Mormon. I say, prove all things. Roman Catholic priests claim that during the Mass they turn the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. Prove all things. Charismatics say you have to speak in tongues as evidence you're filled with the Spirit or that you're spiritual. I say, prove all things or you accept something like that. The Church of Christ, their ministers say, you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, prove all things. Beginning in 1818, William Miller said that Christ would definitely return in 1843 or 44. Prove all things. How do you prove all things? You need an infallible standard. You need a Bible. That you can trust. The Bereans in Acts 17. Receive the word of God with all readiness of mind. And search the scriptures daily. Whether those things were so. All things must be tested. All things must be proved. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. Prove all things. Preaching. Art, music, literature, entertainment. The Bible says to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Do you? All right, what wilt thou have me to do? You should give thanks. You should do good. Study. Walk circumspectly. Redeem the time. Rejoice. Beware. Forgive. Give. And you should also prove all things. Now, in conclusion, let me, let me say this. When you got saved, and I'm assuming everyone in here tonight is, is a Christian. When you got saved, was Paul's question your question? What wilt thou have me to do? Perhaps it wasn't. Well, since that time, have you ever asked the Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It's never too late to ask. What wilt thou have me to do? Give thanks, do good, study, walk circumspectly, redeem the time, rejoice, beware, forgive, give and prove all things. If you're not saved, there's nothing you can do. If you are saved, then you must do everything you can. James 1.22, be ye doers of the word and not Hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Pastor Alter.